every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a postmortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, this week we've made it to uh, virtually the end of season five. We're almost there. Uh, tonight we're covering episodes 520, Spiral, and 521, The Weight of the World. Uh, and uh, talking with me tonight, first-time guest, Margaret Ann Robbins, a teacher-scholar at Mount Vernon School with a PhD in Language and Literacy Education. Margaret, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going? It's going well, and thank you for having me. Uh, I I love having new blood on the podcast. I, I love all of my guests, but uh, especially when new guests, when new blood comes to me by uh, the proselytization, proselytization? Is that how you say that word? Sure. <laughs> I think I said that right. Anyways, the evangelism of uh, other listeners. So um, you heard about this podcast from a friend of the show, uh, Vicky Navarro, correct? Yes. So since this is your first time on the podcast, why don't you uh, tell us what your sort of history with Buffy the Vampire Slayer is? How did you get into the show? Okay, I actually came to Buffy a little bit later than a lot of people did, which is ironic because I'm the same age as the characters on the show, at least roughly. They were in high school when I was in high school, and they were in college when I was in college. And part of why I connect to the show is because of the music and the emphasis on teen culture. Um, but I actually started watching it when I was in graduate school. I do, as you said before, have a PhD in language and literacy education, and I developed an interest in empowered female protagonist superhero figures. Awesome. And yeah, and through that, I started watching Buffy, and I fell in love with it, and I binge-watched it, <laughs> got through a lot of episodes quickly, and then through my interest in Buffy also came my interest in the spinoff show, Angel. Excellent. So are you a comic book fan? Very much so, yes. Awesome. And that's also an interest that developed a little bit later. Um, I became interested in graphic novels probably about seven or so years ago. Um, I just noticed that my students checked them out a lot at the library. And I'm a middle school teacher, so I became interested in why there was this pull towards comics and graphic novels. And through my interest in comics and graphic novels came my interest in superhero comics specifically. And I had read The Funnies as a kid but i didn't get really into comics until my adult years um that's awesome so i also do another podcast uh, a, a geek pop culture podcast and we talk about comics um all the time actually not often enough but uh, we're always looking for guests that are familiar with and interested in comics for that so i i 
might reach out to you to be a guest on Gobbledy Geek someday. Awesome. I would love that. Cool. Um, okay. So let me dump the spoiler warning here uh, so that we can get right into the main topic. Uh, in case anyone listening, this is your first time here. Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We will be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole, which means spoilers and a lot of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series all the way through at least once, press pause on this podcast and go do that. You can come back and thank me later. Uh, and now with that uh, business taken care of, uh, Margaret, if you're ready, let's go to work. Sounds good. All right, let's start off with uh, episode 520, Spiral. Um, so these, you told me off mic, uh, I'm going to spoil your reaction here a little bit. Uh, you told me off mic that you were a, a fan of both of these episodes. Yes, yes. I would say I'm a bigger fan of The Weight of the World than I am of Spiral. I can enjoy and appreciate both, but Weight of the World is the one that I gravitate more more towards all right well let's let's make our way through spiral so we can get to the good stuff of way to the world i i will just say that um i i don't dislike either of these episodes but i don't feel particularly moved by either of them uh either uh i i kind of feel like they are um i'm gonna say time wasting episodes and that is way harsher than i mean they're, they don't waste time but they're they're sort of like delaying tactics i feel like um because if I'm not mistaken, Sarah Michelle Geller was filming Scooby-Doo at the time mm -hmm. that they were uh, filming at least one of these episodes, maybe both. And so like her onset involvement was a little less. So I feel like uh, production kind of slowed down. And that's one of the reasons why Way to the World uh, features a lot of young Buffy instead of Sarah Michelle Geller Buffy. But um, anyways... Oh, wow. Uh, anyways, I, I don't want to start uh, poo-pooing these episodes already. You're fan, you're a fan of them, so I want to hear what you liked about them. Well, um, I'll focus more on Spiral first. I think both, but um, particularly the first one, gives a chance for some of the other Scoobies to step up into leadership roles. And also, I think Spiral brings out some of the tension that exists between Spike and and some of the other characters on the show. In particular, Giles and Xander don't seem particularly excited to have him around at first, but I think over time they realize that he does have value in achieving their goal, in part because he feels a strong connection to Dawn, and in part because, honestly, he has powers, superhuman powers, that they do not. So, I mean, yeah, so I could never completely right up even if i didn't like either of these episodes <laughs> i couldn't write them off because they both have uh great moments for my favorite boy spike um i i'm a an admitted drooling spike fanboy and i, I don't regret it so <laughs> any episode that gives him good moments uh is okay by me and um i think he had some he got some good stuff in both of these episodes um in yes. in spiral like particularly uh you mentioned his sort of connection with dawn and i have always been a fan of that i've mentioned that every time that has come up i love the the almost big brother kind of relationship that he develops with her um and uh in this episode we get more of that and we also get um, um i mean some people could say that it's it's an act or whatever that he's putting on a show because he's there with Buffy. But, um, 
again, I tend to favor Spike, and so I read it as genuine, his sort of showing sympathy for Terra, like when Terra opens up the blinds and the, the sun comes in and, and burns Spike. He's upset at first, and then he realizes that he's, he that, you know, Terra is not in her right mind, and he's upset her by getting angry, and so he gets all gentle and apologetic, and he's like, it's okay, look, the skin's already growing back, or whatever. I agree. I agree. I thought that that was a genuine reaction and that he genuinely felt sympathy for her. Um, I'll admit to being more of an Angel fan than I am a Spike fan. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I mean, I think I'm in the minority among fans, particularly. Oh, I don't know. Fans. So, but I mean, I do, I agree with you though. I think in these two episodes in particular, Spike really comes through for the Scoobies and rewatching these episodes and also being at Dragon Con recently and going to the fan panel about Buffy and hearing what other people had to say about Spike. I have to say, even though I'm still an Angel fan, my respect for Spike has grown over time. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah, mine. my sort of Spike Angel love slash hate went the other way. I was always a fan of Spike. I was never particularly a fan of Angel. Um, and I, I confess that at the height of the show's popularity, I was one of those annoying people that bought into the you have to love one and hate the other thing. And so I loved Spike and I generally hated Angel. Um, but of course, I watched the spinoff and I absolutely fell in love with Angel on his own show. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't dislike Angel at all anymore, but, um, Spike is just still my boy. So. I think that makes total sense though. I think part of the point of Angel is that it redeems the characters that you don't like as much in Buffy, yeah. like Cordelia, like Wesley, like Angel, and even Spike. Spike starts to shine more in, is it the fifth season? That's the last season of Angel? Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it, it gives them a chance to shine where you might have had mixed feelings or even disliked them during Buffy. So are you familiar with um, John Milton's Paradise Lost? A little bit. I read it in college, but that was a while ago. Yeah, I read it years and years ago and I and I loved it. But uh, So I've just sort of had kind of a, a passing memory of it. I, I'm aware it exists, but don't... I wouldn't have picked out the parallels in this episode if I hadn't uh, been looking through Bite Me, the unofficial guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer by frequent conversations guest Nikki Stafford. Uh, and in her write-up on this episode on Spiral, she points out um, several parallels between the uh, story that they tell of Glory's true nature and um, Paradise Lost. So um, I was hoping you had caught that, <laughs> but... Uh, she like she points out the fact that uh, so Paradise Lost obviously is about a fallen angel uh, that tries to whip up a rebellion against God and uh, uh, and gets banished to hell. Uh, she quotes the line, uh, "Spirits when they please can either sex assume or both," uh, which she says is obviously a, a parallel to the Ben Glory thing. Uh, she points out that Satan's angels diminish in stature and grace as they uh, listen to more and more of uh, Satan's sort of rhetoric. And she says that that sounds sort of like Glory's minions. Um, in order to get to Earth and destroy mankind, Satan has to battle a woman who guards the gate, uh, the gate of hell. And once he defeats her, he gives uh, she gives him a key uh, that opens the way. So 
there you go. <laughs> and uh, when he comes to Earth, he appears in the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve, and she points out that Eve is made from Adam's rib and Dawn is made from Buffy's blood. So. Wow, wow. I wouldn't, I'll admit that I wouldn't have pegged it, but now that you explain it, um, I can definitely see it. Um, I think in response to what you just said, in some ways, I do feel like the big bads get more intense with every season, but in some ways, Glory is the one who scares me the most because she had a very human quality to her, obviously in part because she was inhabiting Ben's body, but particularly in Weight of the World, you really see her grappling with human emotions and not really knowing how to handle them and feeling guilt about the way Dawn is reacting to the situation and wondering why um, like humans are having all of these thoughts, all of these crazy thoughts and still pursuing and still loving life. So to me, that's part of what makes Glory interesting is that to me, she has both godlike qualities, but also some very human qualities. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I can never make up my mind between Glory and the mayor uh, as far as which one is sort of my favorite of the Buffy big bads. It, it depends on the day of the week that you ask me. Um, but regardless, I've always been a big fan of Glory. Um, I don't know that I would have pegged it as being sort of her, her uh, brushing up against humanity or whatever. Um, like, obviously that, that, comes to the forefront here at the end of the season because we've got uh, the the sort of divide between her and Ben is getting weaker and weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we get to Way to the World, we'll talk about that, the whole comparison between that and the confusing Buffyverse definition of a soul and what that does to vampires. Um, but uh, I think the biggest reason that I've always been a fan of uh, Glory, aside from Claire Kramer's just, you know, crazy hilarious performance uh is that she is the she's sort of meant to be the dark reflection of buffy although buffy is at this point kind of her own dark reflection but i mean they just introduce another um you know very very feminine blonde attractive girl who turns out to have superpowers and can knock walls down and stuff um so I've I've always liked the parallel between the two characters, the the contrast between those two. I think that's a good point. I normally think of Faith as being Buffy's foil, but I could see that with Glory as well. Yeah, well, I've I've got a soft spot for Faith as well. Um, so you were talking about how these episodes give the the Scooby Gang a chance to sort of step up and take um and have leadership qualities or whatever. Um, this obviously will become much more explicit in the weight of the world, but in uh, spiral willow proves to be pretty darn invaluable, um, in the gang's survival in actually in the world's survival. There are at least two instances I can think of where, uh, because willow has the presence of mind and the magical acumen to create barrier spells, um, she saves Buffy and Dawn's lives. Um, like at the, like the episode opens with glory about to grab Dawn and uh, Willow puts up a, a barrier, which is the only reason why glory didn't immediately get her hands on the key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's true. I do think Willow shows a lot of her power 
in these two episodes. I believe it's in The Weight of the World where you actually see her eyes go dark. Mm-hmm. But I do think that along with the spells she casts, um, that's significant. And it's right at the point where her powers are getting strong. And then unfortunately in season six, they get strong along with her darkness to the point of danger. But as of now, we're still seeing her use her powers in a positive light. And we're starting to see that I wouldn't go so far as to say she's an equal with Buffy, but I think because of her power, she's gained a lot more respect in the eyes of the Scooby gang. Hmm. So, so let me ask you, well, actually you just mentioned season six. So I just, I, it's first time on the show, so I, I'm not familiar with uh, your preferences, your likes and dislikes. Are you a fan of season six? Honestly, no, I am not. Okay. I, I mean, like everybody else, I love Once More with Feeling. Right. But overall, it is my least favorite season, with the possible exception of season one. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, um, I'm not really. I, I've never really been particularly a fan of season six, but um, my... I've surprised myself doing the rewatch for this podcast and liked some things that I remember disliking and I'm less fond of some of the stuff that I thought I was going to love. So who knows how season six will hit me this time. But um, yeah, the end of season five here is just packed from front to back with uh, um, foreshadowing (laughs) and uh, allusions to things that are going to play significant roles in season six. So in in fact, I caught myself... um, I I had a weird reaction. I rewatched both of these earlier today, actually. And uh, I had a weird reaction to, it might actually have been Way to the World. I don't remember which one gave me this reaction, but I caught myself thinking, man, when did this show become so just dour? Like, or I, I think what I thought is, what I miss when the show was fun. And I immediately had to stop myself and be like, first of all, Paul, you love dark stuff. A show doesn't have to be fun for you to have fun with it. <laughs> so... Um, and it's not like I didn't know where this stuff was going. I don't know. I just had a very brief moment where I was like, I kind of wish it was, this was a funny episode instead of this dark, grim episode. But I mean, season six is right around the corner. Yeah. (laughs) There is very, there's very little joy that comes out of season six. Yeah, I agree with you. And I have to be honest with you, I had the exact same reaction when I was rewatching the episodes this week. Um, Even at the very beginning of Spiral, I thought to myself, wow, I forgot how dark the end of season five got. Because even towards the beginning of the episode, Buffy seems like she's starting to lose hope. She's trying to rally herself and rally her friends and her sister anyhow, because she knows that she has to. But Even at the beginning of the episode, I didn't feel that she had a lot of hope left. And that was a bit of a shift for me, at least from what I remember. Because, of course, all of the big bads so far have been daunting. I'm with you in that I think the mayor of Sunnydale is probably the most interesting one. But in all of the other seasons, I felt like, okay, this is challenging, but we have it under control and we can defeat said big bad but towards the beginning of spiral it seemed as though she really did not feel confident that they could and that was why they had to flee yeah i had this very weird uh again it only lasted for a second um and i i'm still feeling guilty for it but i had this this brief moment where i was frustrated that the show that the season has been so much about them trying to get away from glory instead of figuring out ways to defeat her and i realized that uh that it it's one of the ways that this season decided to set up 
to establish the threat of glory is to have Buffy face her a couple times and just get her butt handed to her. And uh, so now she's just terrified every time glory uh, enters the room. Uh, But I I just, when the entire premise of the episode is that they're going to retreat, like they're going to run away and we have the Scooby gang actually surprised by that. I also had a moment of, man, could we just, I don't know. Can we just stop and fight? Uh, that's why I kind of felt like the, both of these episodes are almost stalling tactics. Um, we're just sort of killing time to get to the big finale of uh, of the gift. Um, but of course, I'm not taking into account the ridiculousness of the Knights of Byzantium. Sure, sure. And honestly, something about Spiral, I did feel that the pacing was a little bit off. I understood that they were trying to flee and... I mean, I saw the knights, even though they were trying to kill Dawn for a specific reason, they saw her as being in danger, but I saw it as part of the overarching battle of Buffy versus the patriarchy, because I read the knights as being the patriarchy. And I think that's part of why, honestly, it bothered me that they were fleeing instead of fighting. But yeah, I understand that it was meant to be more of an action-packed episode, but I can see why you why you say that because again it does give the minor characters a chance to shine but I kind of felt like it was just them running and I wanted a little bit more insight into what was going on in their minds and we get that in the weight of the world but all that to say I can understand why you had those feelings I have I have mixed feelings about the the sequence the second half of the episode which is all the Knights of Byzantium chasing them down the road in a quote-unquote high-speed chase, which was not very high speed, uh, and then cornering them in the gas station. But um, because on the one hand, I think the Knights of Byzantium are just ridiculous. They're just, they're just, it, it's the kind, I think maybe I've, I think I said this the one and only time that the Knights have shown up before, which I don't remember what episode that was. I don't remember the episode title. I think it was Anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, when they showed up before, I think my comment was, these feel like the sort of um, bizarre, anachronistic things that would have popped up in a season one or season two, but it almost feels like the show has outgrown this sort of thing now. Having, having The fact that Spike calls them uh, role-player role-playing rejects and renaissance fair <laughs> or whatever, like he's pointing out how ridiculous they are. Um mm-hmm just i don't know seeing a bunch of grown men in in cheesy faux uh medieval armor kind of casually trotting after a slow moving winnebago on a <laughs> on a dirt road um was a, almost a bridge too far for me as far as ridiculousness it was it was it felt tonally different from the rest of the episode um However, having said that, there was some fun stuff that happens in that. Like we get, uh, you know, a classic Hollywood stunt of Buffy fighting, uh, well, she's fighting knights, but anyways, of of two stunt people fighting on top of a moving vehicle. Uh, And that was fun. Yes, yes. I almost wondered if they were meant to be ridiculous to a certain degree because you understood their motivations, but you ultimately did not want them to win. And honestly, when Glory kills Gregor towards the end, I wouldn't normally say this, but I didn't really feel bad. I was just like, <laughs> okay, this happened. And it's a necessary plot device. Let's move on now. So I, I did not feel very invested in the night, so I will say that. So I don't blame you for 
not being overly concerned when Gregor got killed. First of all, it was kind of a it was kind of a cool way to die to have a, a, a hubcap um, frisbeed through your chest. I mean, that's just a unique way to be killed off. Um, but I, this does bring up. So I have to give Buffy Summers a little bit of grief as often as I can. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, my stance on this series, but I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the character of Buffy herself. Um, I've softened a little bit on this rewatch, but I used to actually not genuinely not be a fan of hers. Um, but I do want to call out the fact that uh, one of the, one of sort of the driving moral themes of this series um, always has been, and will continue to be uh, actually uh, as as soon as uh, the next episode, Gift, The Gift, I think it becomes an issue again. Uh, the whole notion of we don't kill humans. Mm -hmm. um, and like the whole schism between uh, Buffy and Faith uh, was kicked off by Faith uh, killing the deputy mayor. Um, is that who she is? that who it was? I don't remember now. But uh, the fact that she killed a human and uh, I don't know, the, the notion that Buffy and her people will not take a human life uh, seems one of the sort of sacred texts of the Scooby gang of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I get that the circumstances are kind of heightened and things are looking pretty grim, but she very pointedly and intentionally kills at least one human on camera in this episode. And you could make an argument that there are at least a couple others that probably received life-threatening injuries in the course of that fight. Um, and it is never remarked upon by anybody. Uh, very, very shortly after this, we go back to the whole, hey, we don't kill, or we go back to the whole looking down on on uh, people who kill humans. So I just, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. Um, I remember like when they are trying to barter with the knights in order to get Ben to take care of Giles, they do mention the fact 10 of our men got killed. And that struck me as significant for the reasons that you just said, because up to that point, Buffy had never killed a human and they had to go to that extent. Um, however, one thing that I, I, I will say this, I am a fan of Buffy. I, I always have been because I've understood where she was coming from. And to me, throughout the episode, I think she goes through extraordinary measures to protect her sister. And I think that is one thing I do like about this episode is that it shows the development of the relationship between Buffy and Dawn and what she's willing to do in order to protect her sister. Because, yes, killing humans is normally not in her moral code, so to say. But she's willing to do it to protect her sister. And I think that's why... Dawn is so grateful to her because they're having that conversation when they're in the trailer trying to flee and Buffy is upset. She doesn't seem very encouraged. And that's when Dawn thanks her and says, actually you fleeing for me is one of the most amazing things anyone has ever done. Mm -hmm. So starting with that and going up to the extreme of being willing to kill the Knights to protect her um, my opinion is that while that's a lot to process, it does show what she's willing to do, do to protect her younger sister. And I'm an older sibling myself, so I think that's why those scenes bring empathy for me. Yeah, I'm the oldest of five, so I, I certainly 
get that. And and um, I've I have praised Buffy. Some of my favorite Buffy moments in this season have come have, have been uh, the moments where she shows genuine like her and Dawn have a genuine emotional connection. Um, I've, I've been annoyed all through season five with the way that they would snipe at each other, the way siblings do. And I get it. Siblings do, but it's still, it, it grew tiresome watching. And so any, any time this season where uh, Buffy and Dawn have like a genuine heart to heart an emotional connection or whatever, I love that stuff. Me too, me too, because honestly, the first time I watched this series, when Dawn shows up at the beginning of season five, I was just like, wait, what? Buffy has a sister, (laughs) and I figured it was something to do with magic, so I was willing to go with it. I had that suspension of disbelief, but for a while, I was annoyed at Dawn, like I think a lot of people were, but then throughout the course of season five, Dawn did grow on me, and she continues, or continued to grow on me throughout seasons six and seven, because I do think she matures a lot as the show goes on, and I personally have read all of the comics for Buffy, too, so I think the comics show Dawn's continued growth, but this episode, I think, does highlight the way that Buffy and Dawn's relationship has evolved over time. Yeah. Yeah. I just... I just wish um, we'll move on, but I, I, I would just say, I wish, I wish that I could have had the, I wish I could invest in the Buffy is willing to kill to protect her sister. Like even say, even me saying that out loud, that's a powerful thing. And I, I really, I really want to feel it. I'm just the, having watched the series before and knowing that in, in not too many episodes from now, we're going to go right back to the whole holier than thou. We don't kill humans. <laughs> Um, ideal uh, and this episode like to the best of my recollection is just never never referenced ever again so that kind of I, hypocrisy is too strong a word but that kind of thing just irritates me a little bit so yeah I think that's I think that's a fair point um, I understand that's why that's her moral code but she should also be willing to acknowledge the fact that, albeit under extreme circumstances, she once had to break it herself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I don't think... Oh, I did want to mention another beautiful Spike moment is that Spike caught... I don't think I'd ever noticed before exactly how close uh, Buffy came to getting a sword through the skull. I remember the scene... I knew the scene was coming where someone would stab through the roof of the Winnebago and Spike would catch the sword, but I had either never noticed or forgotten that he actually caught it and stopped the sword right before it like stabbed Buffy in the top of the head. So um, I did enjoy that moment. Obviously that's another one of those good moments, heroic moments for my boy. Yeah. I had forgotten about that as well, but honestly us talking about it makes me rethink, well, you know, the Scooby gang might not have wanted Spike around at first, but they sure should be glad he came along mm-hmm. for that reason, among others. Um, is it this one or the next one where it might, it might be the next one where we get the sort of um, Spike and Xander bonding moment. I think it's the next one. More so the next one, because mainly in this episode, if I remember right, they're bickering with each other and mm-hmm. it's almost a little bit humorous at times, but it's also awkward, but it's more so in the next one where they have a couple of bonding moments, I think. Okay. Uh, well, I think maybe uh, I'm looking at my notes. I don't think I had anything else to talk about in this episode. Uh, is there anything else 
you wanted to say before we move on to Weight of the World? Um, one more thing. I did think that she had a very poignant moment with Giles where he has been injured and isn't doing so well. And Buffy comes up to him and he says that he's very proud of her for placing her heart above all else. And that that was everything he would have wanted as a watcher. I felt like that was a poignant moment for the two of them. That was a beautiful moment, especially the way uh, Anthony Stewart had played it, where he said, um, how did he deliver it? It was something like, you're everything that a watcher could, you're everything that I could have wanted or something like that. Like he caught himself. He was trying to do a whole watcher and slayer thing. And then he remembered who he was talking to. It's not Watcher and Slayer, it's Giles and Buffy. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, well, I think we can move into, we can transition into uh, Weight of the World. Um, I guess I would all, the final thing I'd say about Spiral is I did appreciate the uh, the dark irony of the, the end when... Um, the fact that Buffy invites glory into the midst, like with invites her within the protective barrier. Um, I love that kind of just gruesome, grim, horrible irony when things like that happen, especially when you as the audience know that it's going on, but the characters don't. Um, so I did enjoy watching all of that. And I loved how Buffy, not that Buffy really could have done anything if she had caught glory as glory was running away with dawn but just the fact that uh she was stopped by the mystical barrier that she had asked willow to put up anyways i just liked i liked the desperation and the painful irony of all that the way that ended absolutely absolutely it did end on a very good moment in terms of cliffhangers and wanting to know more and I'm looking at the original air dates, and uh, these did air just one week apart. For some reason, I was, I, I had it in my head that there had been a break between <laughs> Spiral and Weight of the World, but there wasn't. It was just the typical, uh, I have to wait till next week. But um, yeah, so you said you binged this, you binged Buffy, so you just kind of powered through all of them? Um, on and off, just depending on what else I had going on. But over about two to three years, give or take a little uh, bit, I watched all of Buffy and then all of Angel. So I was somewhat sporadic just because I was juggling other things. But over um, about two to four years, I watched both Buffy and Angel. Okay. But you, but you weren't forced to wait a week between episodes. If Like if you got to a cliffhanger, you could just go on to the next one. Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, head into the weight of the world then. Um, you said this is of the two. This is uh, the one that you prefer. So what about this one speaks to you? For me, this episode was very much about guilt and yes. I relate to it. I, I think we've all felt guilt at one time or another in our lives, but the scenes where Willow is entering Buffy's head, I just felt were really powerful and really compelling. First of all, because the moment where young Buffy meets Dawn for the first time, again, as the older sibling of a younger sister, those scenes really spoke to me, where at first it's like, oh, I have to share the attention with someone else, but that turns into, I want to take care of her. 
And I feel like those moments, um, although unbeknownst to Buffy, the magic is skewing certain things, those are nevertheless some very beautiful moments between Buffy and her little sister. And also those moments where Buffy is... I believe putting back the book, putting the book back onto the shelf mm-hmm. and where she has that moment of, I think we all have those moments of a thought or a decision that we've made that we have later come to regret. And that's where Buffy has the thought of, I can't beat glory. And unfortunately she feels like you said, there wasn't anything she could have done about glory suddenly snatching Dawn. But because of that moment and because of that thought that leads her to feel guilt and it leads her to second guess herself and wonder what she could have done differently. And I think all of us at one time or another, we have thoughts whether or not we act upon them that we feel drive us and that we in turn feel guilty about. So to me, those moments within Willow getting into Buffy's mind really resonated with me. Uh, Yeah, I had a mixed reaction to the the sort of magical psychotherapy thing because... um, my first response to it was this is just a stalling tactic because they can't have Sarah Michelle Geller on set. But um, once I let go of that, I, I did actually think that it was all very well done. Um, and I, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Anyways, um, in angel, there's an episode in one of the later seasons of angel. There's an episode. Um, I think it's Orpheus where they, uh, they use a magical drug that does the same thing to, for, for the same effect. I, I'm a big fan of that kind of thing. So I thought seeing Willow actually do that and then trying to um, make sense of the kind of dream logic that's going on inside Buffy's head. Um, I enjoy analyzing that kind of stuff. I was going to nitpick um, and I'm hardly the first one, uh, but I was going to nitpick the fact that we've in an earlier season of Buffy, we had seen uh, a very young Buffy and she had dark hair. And so here we have a very young Buffy who has the same blonde hair that Buffy has now. But as other people have also pointed out, this is a, this is a manufactured memory, which actually I, I may be alone in this, but I thought watching that scene that you just referenced, where we get to see the moment where Buffy is introduced to her young sister. um, I actually thought, that was more moving and poignant knowing that this is a false memory. Hmm. You know, I hadn't really thought of it because I think I was willing to suspend disbelief. And while I knew it was um, contrived, at least to a degree by the magic, it felt so real to me that I think I was willing to overlook it. And honestly, it didn't really strike me one way or another that it was probably a contrived memory. I, I'm not going to say, I don't think it would be fair for me to say that uh, if Buffy and Dawn, like if Dawn had always been on the show, if if Buffy had always had a sister from the very first season, um, that I would be as, that I would have as strong an emotional reaction to seeing the two of them bond as I do. Um, I, I feel like one of the things that moves me about her relationship with Dawn is the fact that she they know the truth that they, they know, you know, consciously Buffy is aware that that memory and Willow must be aware too. But, but more importantly, Buffy is aware that the memory of meeting infant Dawn, you know, 
14 years ago or whatever is not real that that was put in her head and that didn't actually happen but it doesn't stop her from feeling the emotions of it the fact that she that that they acknowledge dawn is quote unquote not real but she's they love each other just the same i actually feel like i have a stronger emotional reaction to that than i would if uh dawn was real and had been around the whole time i i agree with you i think there's something really beautiful about that because first of all we live in an era where families are not always nuclear families and we have blended families we have families that come together through adoption we have friends that feel to us almost like siblings or family members even if they technically aren't and I personally have a cousin who feels like a sister to me. So all that to say, I think there's something to be said for a sisterhood that has not always been a sisterhood. And in some ways, I agree with you that it makes it even more poignant that they both know the truth, but they nevertheless feel that genuine bond with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this episode also gives us the, the uh, payoff on the almost season-long joke of Ben is Glory, um, which I I have gotten no end of amusement. I've gotten lots of mileage out of the, wait, Ben is Glory? <laughs> joke uh, across this podcast. So we've finally reached the point where everybody is, is uh, let in on the punchline. Um, but it takes a little while, so we get the, the beautiful line uh, from Giles, after Spike has just spent several minutes trying to explain this to everybody. And he's like, so do we suspect that there may be some kind of connection between Ben and Glory? Oh, it's magic. I love this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that is funny. I think those moments when Spike tells them Ben is Glory and Glory is Ben, and they're just so confused because the magic causes them to forget and then Xander, I think, finally catches on to it for real. I definitely think there's a lot of humor in that moment. And I mean, I think particularly in this episode, like you said, there are bonding moments between Xander and Spike. And that is one of them. In addition to when they battle Doc together and Xander kills Doc. That's actually, honestly, one of my favorite moments in the whole episode when Xander kills Doc, because it shows Xander, I think, becoming braver and having a little bit more metaphorical muscle. But but yeah, I think that moments, those moments are among the ones where Spike and Xander, while they haven't always seen eye to eye, really bond with each other. Uh, I will say you mentioned that you've read all of the comics. I I famously have not. I've read some of them and was not a fan and uh, people are trying to get me to to read them uh, anyways. But I will say one of the things that I think possibly I've missed out on by not continuing with the comics is I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe uh, at a certain point in the, in the comics, um, Spike and Xander just finally like, there's no more pretense. They actually become friends, right? I would say so. Yeah. Particularly in some of the more recent ones that I've read without spoiling them. There are moments where they really have to come together for the greater good. So yes, I do think they eventually become genuine friends. Okay. See, and I've, I've clearly missed out on that by not reading the comics. I don't know if that's enough to get me back to them, but we'll see. Um, uh let's see uh 
oh, I did not remember, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody else point out that Glory... So I'm a defender of Dawn. I don't know where you stand on this. It sounds like you're kind of a fan of Dawn. Yes, I wasn't at first, but she grew on me. So overall, I would say, yes, I am a Dawn fan. Well, she gets so much flack from fans for so many reasons, but one of the most consistently called out moments is her get out, get out, get out thing, which I've I've stood up for. I've defended that moment. <laughs> I thought that moment was believable and, and genuine or whatever, but um, so many people point to that as the most significant moment of Dawn annoyance for them. So I had completely blacked out the fact that Glory does the same thing in this episode. She says, get out, get out, get out. Not in the same kind of screechy, whiny, juvenile voice that Dawn uses, obviously, but it's so clearly, she says, the get out, get out, get out, that I was like, that had to be intentional. There's no way that they didn't do that intentionally, especially since it was a moment when she was trying to have a private conversation with Dawn. So. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch on to it, but I think you're probably right that it was intentional. Um, we talked about, or, or you mentioned the fact that... Um, that Glory is starting to sort of feel some of Ben's humanity. So um, I repeat ad nauseum over the course of this podcast that I take I take issue with the Buffy versus sort of simplification of soul equals good. Um, there's the, the slightly barely more nuanced explanation of a soul actually equals conscience and the ability to feel guilt and remorse, um, which is slightly barely more tolerable to me than the soul equals good theme. But um, anyways, in this episode, I think we have an instance uh, where I, I don't think it's called out. I don't think anybody ever makes this comparison in the episode, but I thought it was very clear that um, we were seeing Ben's humanity come out in glory in the same way that the series tries to equate a soul like a vampire with a soul the whole the angel is the vampire he is because he has a soul and uh, that's what allows him the ability that grants him a conscience and conscience and gives him the ability to feel guilt and remorse um, and that's obviously what's going on with glory so the idea that ben is inside glory acting as a soul and is causing her to feel guilt and remorse uh I thought that was pretty significant. I do, however, think it's ironic that even though Ben is fighting Glory for control, he ultimately is willing to sell out Dawn. And to be fair, he does that because he's trying to save his own life. Um, Now that we're talking about it, though, it does, however, make me question the whole soul versus soulless binary, which I've always questioned to a degree. But his decision to turn Dawn over, I think, does bring that into question. Um, I mean, again, Glory does talk about feeling guilt because of being in Ben's body and starting to feel overwhelmed by human emotions. And she makes the comment that she thinks humans are lunatics looking for the fastest way out. And she doesn't understand why they numb themselves with um, drinking, etc. She doesn't understand why they want to live anyway. Um, but yeah, so on the one hand, she's more human because of Ben. But on the other hand, Ben ultimately sells Dawn out. So I don't know. I question that binary as well. So I can't stand the... Um 
I usually can't stand the binary of soul equals good, soulless equals evil. Um, that stuff kind of drives me crazy, and it's something I push back against a lot, especially once we get into uh, Angel the Series. Um, but uh, I, I kind of love the moment here. Uh, I love recognizing the parallels here with Ben and Glory, Ben serving as her soul, especially because... Um, I've I've always said that we see plenty of examples over both series of uh, humans with souls doing terrible things. So having a soul does not does not mean you're a good person. Um, and the fact that even though I can already think of a way of explaining this, of sort of writing this off, explaining this away, um, I think the fact that as soon as Ben comes back out, uh, the, as soon as the sold, the soulful Ben comes back out, he very quickly uh, turns Dawn in in order to save his own skin. Um, I, I love that immediate, I can't believe I hadn't already latched onto that, that immediate proof that, all right, yeah, so his soul was was sort of humanizing glory, but here he is, human and sold, and he's going to act in a very inhumane way. Um, exactly. Yeah. But of, of course the way that we could get around that, not that I want to, but the way we could get around it is um, he was also experiencing the sort of dehumanizing effect of glory the same way she was experiencing the humanizing effect of Ben. Yeah, that's a valid point. And it also brings up the question that I think Spiral asked when Buffy ended up killing people of what do people do when they're driven to the point of desperation? And I also think that becomes important in season six when Willow gets addicted to magic and goes too far and she loses Tara. I'm allowed to say spoilers, so I yeah, can say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, yeah, I just think the issue of what drives humans to desperation starts to become more apparent towards the end of season five and it's explored more deeply in season six because Willow, of course, does terrible things when she's driven to the point of desperation. And I think there is that question of, well, she's human, but she's also a witch. And is it the magic that's making her do this or is it her own darkness from the way she's been mistreated or is it some of both? So to me, I actually think that the show questions why people do terrible things even when they have souls, um, even though we do have the soul versus not soul binary with the vampires, it does seem to be a little bit more complex with humans. There's that preferential treatment I can't stand. <laughs> um, the how did you feel? What did you think about the whole Ben and Glory Gollum Smeagol moment? Hmm, isn't that the moment where the, um, Ben has taken Dawn away, is trying to sneak her away, and then they're fighting with each other? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, I remember it. Um. Honestly, I found it interesting because, first of all, given the time period of the show, those were some pretty good special effects. So I couldn't help being impressed because, of course, during season one of Buffy, when there wasn't much of a budget, we didn't have that kind of special effect capability. So that struck me. But um, 
hadn't really thought about it until you asked the question, but that could also be interpreted as a metaphorical fight of sorts between like wanting to do right and do the right thing and succumbing to our weaknesses, which unfortunately Ben ultimately does, even though he's trying to fight glory. So I agree that the special effects were, I, I mean, they appear dated by today's standards, but uh, by uh, the 2001 um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer standards, I thought it was done pretty well. Um, I've seen people complain that it went on way too long, and um, I don't know, may maybe that's true. Again, this is an episode that is trying to fill time where they couldn't have Sarah Michelle Gellar, so I think some scenes got to play out longer than they might have otherwise, but... I also it it I love the Gollum Smeagol moment if you know what I'm referring to from uh, Lord of the Rings but uh, I I also had fun with it here I I liked seeing because we don't get to see those two characters interact with each other typically this is as close as we were gonna get and uh, so it was it was both amusing to to watch. Well, to imagine what it must be like for the actors to be, have this heated conversation with themselves when there isn't anybody else there to talk to. Um, but just, um, I don't know, emotionally and dynamically, I thought it was interesting. Me too. And I actually disagree with the comment that it went on too long. To me, it was about right enough to build tension between the two characters, but not so long as to drag out. I think maybe the... The only reason I felt like maybe it went on too long is because of because Dawn was also in the scene and uh, Dawn. Now, I, I do not hold this against the character and I, I, I don't I haven't heard people complain about this, but I just assume there are people that hate Dawn and look for any excuse to, to nitpick her. I'm sure there were people that thought she was just being uh, useless and stupid by just laying there on the alley like on the on the ground in the alley watching uh these two people argue with each other when she could have got up and run away um so there were multiple scenes where like they he'd morph back into ben and then he'd grab her wrist and and start to drag her away and then he'd switch back to glory and she'd throw dawn to the ground or throw her against a dumpster or whatever there was a lot of scenes while this interesting dynamic between ben and glory was going on where dawn was just sort of being ragdolled back and forth in this alley well to me that's believable because i believe you all talked in the last episode about how dawn is a young teenage girl and She's played by somebody who's probably at least close to the age of the actual protagonist. Mm -hmm. And honestly, she's been traumatized. I mean, she recently lost her mom and now she's found out this terrible secret about herself and she's separated from her sister and everybody else cares about her. And now she's being suppressed and oppressed by a magical being. I mean, honestly, I would be traumatized too. And I would probably be stunned too. And I'm a grown adult. So <laughs> frankly, I can understand why she was too immobilized to act upon the situation. I did like her performance, uh, Michelle Trachtenberg's performance in the scene. It's actually the get out, get out, get out scene. Uh, when after Gloria has, has, uh, dragged her to her lair or whatever and uh like that one minion is in there trying to anoint her or whatever i, I loved her um sh 
Dawn's sort of shell-shocked, almost catatonic, like almost like her sister. She's almost slipped into catatonia. She's so overwhelmed by the situation and she's fighting back tears and you can hear her voice break anytime she tries to say something and she tries to be defiant, but I don't know, her her emotional performance there I thought was very genuine and so I really liked it. And related to that, I also felt that Sarah Michelle Geller's performance of being in her... Um, trying to think of a word her state like her blank state where willow's inside of her mind i i felt like that was very believable when she was um tuned out so to say Mm -hmm. her fugue state yes yes yeah i i also love i like i i give buffy a hard time uh but sarah michelle geller is undeniably a great actress and and i'm always willing to uh call out the wonderful examples of her like anytime she has to cry on camera she does a a great job so i was i was moved when she comes out of her fugue state when she has her epiphany or whatever and she gets just a couple of seconds to be kind of shocked and confused as she as she wakes up in the room sitting across from willow and then all of the pain and everything just lets go and pours out of her and she bursts into heaving sobs as Willow is trying to comfort her. That was a very moving scene. Yeah, I completely agree. It was, it was well done. I want to ask about, um, well, I have to, you, you said one of your favorite scenes in the episode was when Xander gets to kill Doc. I mean, he, he doesn't actually kill Doc, but I get, I know what you're saying. Um, I, I just have to point out that, uh, as I've said previously, Joel Gray is an icon, and I love the fact that he was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even though he's playing this weaselly, terrible uh, glory minion. I still love any scene that he's in. So, um, I just wanted to say I love you, Joel Gray. Uh, but I want to ask about the concept of the key uh, that that the ritual requires the blood of the key. Um, And again, this is one of those uh, silly nitpicks to make because there's an awful lot of stuff in this series that you can and should just hand wave and say, it's magic. It doesn't matter if it makes 100% sense. Um, I don't, I don't need the magic in this show to make hundred percent sense, but I do wonder about Um, if the ritual specifically requires, like they're reading these scrolls and it specifically mentions the blood of the key and and that the portal will remain open as long as the blood is flowing. And the only way to close the portal is to stop the blood from flowing. Um, And yet the entire season, uh, Glory has been trying to figure out what form the key has taken. And in an earlier episode, she even said the key could have been anything. I don't remember what she says it could have been, um, a lamp or a, a ham sandwich or like she says a couple of things that it could have been anything. And uh, so my question is if the key, if the monks had turned the key into like a velvet Elvis painting, (laughs) would the ritual just have not been able to work? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I think if the ritual had still occurred, it would have taken a very different form. Um, I hadn't thought about this until now, but maybe the significance of the blood relates to the show being about vampires. and about- Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with Angel in particular, 
the lust for blood is so much about what drives him as a character. The fact that he's having to overcome this and that he's drinking animal blood rather than human blood and having to come to grips with that. So to me, that's, that's significant, but it is an interesting choice that they made to put the key in a human form rather than an object of sorts. And Honestly, I wonder if they were just looking for an excuse to get Dawn on the show as a character, so that's what they had to go with. I'm speculating there's nothing that proves that, but um, I wonder if that's a possibility. I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. Within the context, the thematic context of the series, of course it had to be blood. I mean, Spike in an earlier, was it Lover's Walk? Is that where his whole... um, uh, Of course it's blood. It has to, it's always blood or whatever. You'll never be friends. Uh, like he, he, Spike has pointed out at least once, I think multiple times, that blood is the life. It's a very vampire thing. So, yes, absolutely, and I think it's a big part of what makes mammals human, rather than say plants or um, <laughs> other beings. I mean, there's the blood, but then there's also that that life and that drive for life. So, yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure it was done with intentional purpose. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. All right, so let me ask you about the... This is going to be dipping a little bit into uh, uh, the next episode, the the season finale, The Gift. Um, mm-hmm. But it, this is a spoiler podcast, so we can we can touch on that. I'll, I'll bring this up again next week when I'm talking about that episode. But the notion of... So earlier in the season, Spike in... in uh, fool for love spike gave buffy the whole speech about how um slayers come with a death wish and that sooner or later buffy was going to feel that same thing um and so obviously as we get towards the end of the season and if if listeners you know where this season ends uh, that's pretty obvious that that's what that was foreshadowing so how do you feel about this stuff as we're getting as we're building up to that moment do you, this is a very complicated question uh, and it might be an unfair question, especially since you're not actually on the episode where we're going to talk about the gift, but how do you feel about Buffy's ultimate solution for the problem? Huh? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's fitting um, and I do think it's foreshadowed um, when Willow is inside of Buffy's head. Of course, she talks to the first Slayer, and the first Slayer says, death is your gift. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think that's giving a pretty strong hint. I didn't see it the first time I was watching these episodes. I didn't realize it was going to go in that direction. And of course, it's very unnerving when Willow sees Buffy killing Dawn, Although, of course, at the end of the episode, Giles drops the huge bomb that unless, of course, they're able to get to the ceremony in time, the only solution may be to kill Dawn. But I think along the way, particularly towards the end of this season, Buffy is being set up to be the sacrificial figure for her sister. And she's willing to sacrifice a lot in order to save her and to help her. So... To be honest with you, based on the buildup, I felt that it was the only way that they could take. That's the only direction it could have gone in. I Regular listeners might be surprised to hear me say this, but I, I think I agree with you. <clears throat> so um, 
I, I, the subject of suicide is a difficult subject and I have my own feelings on that subject and we don't need to get into these, but, um, I feel like the season as a whole has been, um, showing, it has been demonstrating to Buffy one way or another, uh, what it means to grow up and what it takes to be an adult and, and it's been played for jokes sometimes and it's been played deathly serious at other times. Uh, but basically every sort of obstacle that Buffy has come up against in this season has been, uh, a way for her to examine what it means and what she's going to have to do to take the next step to be a grown up. And this might be, this, this might be, uh, I don't know. This might be a stretch. It might be inappropriate. I, 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 the fact that, her mother, uh, that their mother passed away this season. Is there, is there anything to make of the idea that Buffy perhaps feels like in order to ultimately, in order to be the protective, the, 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 the guardian, the parent in the situation that she's going to have to sacrifice her life. I realize, uh, Joyce didn't quote unquote sacrifice her life. She didn't make a sacrifice that way in order to protect her children. But I don't know. Do you think there's anything to that notion? Um, I had never really thought about it before. Um, I do think though, that a lot of this season is about not only guilt, but also trauma and overcoming trauma. And um, along the way, I think, um, hmm. it's difficult for Buffy to come up with solutions to problems and I think um, when it talks about death being a gift of course at first you're led to believe that that's going to mean that Dawn has to be killed but it does seem as though Buffy is going to stop at literally nothing to save Dawn. And it may be that part of why she's willing to go to such extreme measures is because she's already lost her mother and she simply can't afford to lose somebody else who she cares about. Um, of course, having said that, um, I say this knowing what happens later mm -hmm. on in season six and some of what I'm saying might not apply if I didn't know that Buffy would ultimately rise again. Um, I don't think I'm the only person who posits this, but I do think there's the possible metaphor of Buffy being a Christ figure, one who sacrifices herself um, to save the world and yet rises again. So in that context, um, Yes, um, it could be related to her mom to a certain degree, but to me it's a larger metaphor of Buffy, like Harry Potter, like many other figures in young adult pop culture and literature as being the chosen one. And in my opinion, and I see Gandalf and Lord of the Rings as being the same way, mm -hmm. they die, but then they ultimately rise again. And whether or not I would still be okay with this narrative arc if Buffy didn't ultimately rise again, I'm not sure. And of course, I had a different experience watching this show, knowing that there would be two more seasons afterwards. So assuming that she would eventually come back to life because it's magic and because it's a world. So I am okay with the arc, but it could be not entirely fair of me to say that because I'm okay with the arc knowing that the outcome 
would ultimately be her finding life again. And had I not known that, especially with suicide being such a sensitive issue, to be honest with you, I am not sure that I would have been okay with it going in that direction. I genuinely don't think I've ever considered it in the context of what if I, what if I didn't know that there was any more Buffy after this? Um, because I don't remember a lot of what my first viewing experience was like watching this as it, as it aired, but I, I do know that we knew the show was coming back. Um, like we knew, we knew that this was, in fact, I feel like some of the dialogue, uh, in the fan community at the time was around the fact that this was, um, Whedon and company killing off Buffy, the, the WB version of Buffy so that she could come back to life on a new network or whatever. Um, but so, so we knew there was going to be more, but I don't, I genuinely don't think I've ever pondered how I would feel. Cause I also, I, I love season five and I love the way it ends. And I, I'm about to ask you, um, how you feel, uh, with the, uh, the suggestion of what if, what if this had been the series finale? Although I guess you just brought that up. Um, I've often said that even though there was fantastic stuff to come in season six, like I, I, wouldn't give up once more with feeling for anything, but this, this almost season five almost feels like a fitting end to the series. Um, but I don't know now for some reason, for the very first time I'm pondering, is that true? What, what would I, how would I feel about the decisions that are made and the way that the whole thing ends? If, if it ultimately was the end. I think that's a fair question. And to be honest with you, I remember thinking, watching the end of season five, well, gosh, this feels like a series finale, but it's not because there are two more seasons. And to be honest with you, um, I still would have understood the narrative going that way, but I don't think I would have been okay with it because I think it would have been too bleak, particularly given that the target audience of the show, while it has fans of all ages, all generations, given that the target audience of the show um, was and still is younger people, I don't think it would have been appropriate, honestly. Yeah. I think what YA or young adult series and series targeted for young people, I think you want there to be a feeling of hope at the end. And had the series ended that way, I do not think that would have been the case. Yeah. Man, I, I, it's, I apologize that you're not on <laughs> the episode discussion of the gift. Cause that's kind of what we're talking about now, but uh, I don't know. It just feels like I, I don't have a lot of memory of what happens in the gift. To be honest, I, I remember the ultimate, pretty much the only thing I remember about the gift is the final, the final moment. So, uh, it almost feels like talking about these episodes, it almost feels like this is the end of season five. So, Sure. Well, I know that I've been to a lot of Buffy fan panels at Dragon Con and at some of the comics panels related to the Buffy first that I've been to. A lot of times the panelists will ask us what our favorite episodes are. And a lot of people have said the gift, which I find interesting because it's so bleak in some ways. Yet, um, it leads to season six, while, and while season six is, um, as I said before, not my favorite season, objectively speaking, it is great television. So it has a bleak ending, yet it leads to something beautiful. And because I know the arc goes in that direction, I'm okay with it. Because 
season seven is actually one of my favorite seasons besides season three season seven i would say is my favorite interesting um yeah i mean i uh i love the gift and my favorite series finale of all time is uh the angel series finale which also is very bleak that is a very bleak way to end a series despite the fact that um i i don't remember if there's a similar uh suggestion of maybe a hopeful hopeful future in the gift you can remind me if you remember but at least in uh not fade away it was a super bleak ending but it also made sense with the the sort of message that that series was trying to deliver um, so in that sense, not fade away kind of had a, a hopeful button put on the end of it, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's super dark. A lot of people die and it looks like a lot more people are going to die when the scene cuts to black. But, uh, I have to say not fade away frustrated me. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand why people like it and I completely take your point that it was an appropriate, and for the series in some ways, because I think part of what, what the series was getting at is that you don't always have all of the answers. And I've read before, we didn't even saying that it's an allegory for young adulthood. And I think, you know, because I watched it at age, at the age bracket of like 25 to 35, maybe that's why in some ways I connected to Angel more so than Buffy, but Whedon himself, from what I understand and have read has said that he ultimately saw it as a metaphor for being a young adult and figuring things out. And so in that regard, it's an appropriate ending because not everything is resolved in a neat, tidy bow. And that's not how life is. There's definitely a degree of resolution between um, Fred and Wesley, but it left too much up in the air for my taste, to be honest. And I know that's partly because I didn't know for sure that the series was going to be canceled, but that's part of what motivated me to read the comics for both Buffy and Angel is that frankly I found the end of that series unsatisfying because there were so many unanswered questions that is not an uh, that's not an uncommon reaction there are a lot of I, I've heard a lot of people say that they uh, were dissatisfied with the end of Angel because uh, they wanted more answers or they they felt it needed more resolution or whatever um, you're the first person I've heard specifically say that's one of the reasons you read the comics because you wanted <laughs> you wanted more after that I would say this is not the reason that I don't like the comics, but I am not interested in the story after Not Fade Away. I love the ambiguous ending. I love the incomplete story. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Um, even if the comics that came after Not Fade Away were great, I would still question, I still question whether or not I would read them because I just love that, that uh, incomplete answer <laughs> at the end of Not Fade Away. But. And I don't think you're alone in feeling that way. I normally like um, ambiguous endings, actually, because, again, I think that's more how life is. But that particular one perturbed me because it's like, oh, they're right in the middle of the fight and then you just cut it off. I mean, come on here. I've grown <laughs> to really love these characters and you just like cut me off with no further follow up. Like I was frustrated, honestly. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so. fair. That's fair. Um, I need to figure out how to uh, have... Skype is a beast. Skype will usually not let me have more than like two or three at the most uh, people on mic before audio issues just start to get too terrible. 
for me to do anything with. But uh, it would be nice if I could figure out how to have sort of a, a roundtable discussion about both series finales. So like the final episode of Buffy, I would love to have multiple guests on for that. And I'd love to do the same thing at the end of Angel. So if oh, anybody... Yeah, <laughs> if anybody listening has uh, a suggestion for a method that's a little more reliable than Skype um, in terms of audio issue and having multiple microphones going, uh, please let me know, because I, I think both series finales are going to deserve uh, a group discussion instead of just one or two guests at a time. But Yeah, I think, well, I think that's right, first of all. And second of all, Zoom or Google Hangouts. Mm -hmm. I've done both of those. Those might be avenues to consider, although Google Hangout I've had issues on too. But I do think Zoom tends to be a little bit more stable. Okay, I'll look into that. Um, man, anyways, I've taken us far afield. We've gotten away from these two episodes. So uh, before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't said about these two episodes we're supposed to be talking about? <laughs> Um, I will say that one of the most poignant moments for me, and you alluded to it when you were talking about Buffy coming out of her trance and beginning to cry, I felt that it was really beautiful when Willow talked to Buffy about her feeling of guilt and that guilt, if you feel guilt, it's an important emotion and it's one that you need to pay attention to. But at the same time, you also have to move forward. I think that's right, and I felt that that was a really beautiful moment between those two characters because, yes, she had the thought, and yes, the thought was debilitating, but it still did not make what happened with Glory taking Dawn her fault. And I think that's what she had to realize in order to move on because, again, um, Buffy and Dawn – and the whole group really had been through so much trauma after having lost Joyce and literally battling all of these monsters. And of course the monsters are metaphors for other things. So I think that moment was about overcoming trauma, but I also think it was about how we all have to move forward. Even when we feel guilt. Mm -hmm. We did. We didn't even mention, uh, because earlier you talked about, uh, these episodes giving the Scooby gang a chance to take a leadership role. Sp very specifically, we got to see Willow um, step into the leader role when, uh, when Buffy was sidelined and uh, everybody else was just fighting with each other. Uh, Willow has done so many, uh, especially in the back half of season five, Willow has done so many like over the top magical feats. Uh, as She gets more and more confident uh, in her abilities and more powerful. To me personally, I think, I mean, I loved the scene in, I think it was last week's podcast, uh, when she first goes Dark Willow and she's like floating and blows open the door and hits Glory with lightning. I mean, that was super cool, but maybe one of the most sort of chill-inducing things that Willow has done was in this one, where she just very casually, her eyes don't go black, she doesn't get all like super evil or anything like that she just very under her breath but with a lot of authority says separate and uh, mm -hmm. Xander and Spike just fly away from each other um, I don't know why that casual uh, moment of power and authority was very effective to me so 
I'm with you. I'm with you completely. Um, I loved that moment. And I loved the moment where she, when Buffy was in the trance, she took over and said, okay, you're going to take Giles to the hospital. You're, she delegated the tasks the way Buffy normally would have. And yeah, yeah. I feel like that's where you're really stepping or she was really stepping up. Um, I will say that although I like Buffy, not everybody likes Buffy, but I, I happen to like Buffy. I will say though, that Willow was the character I identify with more. And of everybody in the main Scooby gang and probably among most of the characters on the show, she's the one I relate to the most. So to me to see her step up and really overcome her shyness more and step up as a leader and believe in herself as an authority figure, to me that was a really cool Willow moment. I think kind of like when you see the spike moments that you love and get excited about, that's how I feel about Willow. When Willow has a good moment and honestly Oz, Oz is another Oh, absolutely. Like, with both Oz and Willow, when they have their big moments, I get excited. Uh, no, it's totally fair. I mean, Willow is absolutely uh, precious to me. Um, it's uh, it's painful to get to this point in the series when we know where Willow's story is going. Um, it, it's just painful to watch um, all of these things that on first viewing, perhaps if you were super, super attentive and really tuned in, you might catch what was coming. But uh, it's really just in hindsight now and going back and rewatching that you're like, oh, this is this is terrible. Like, it seems cool now that she's showing all this power and she has this voice of authority, but it's it won't be cool for much longer. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the case. Although she does bring it back full circle and use her powers for good in season seven and then also for the most part in the comics. So mm -hmm. seeing her longer narrative arc, it's still cool overall, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, those of us who are rewatching it, we know, oh, this is about to take a dark turn. And it's unfortunate, too, because we really see a nurturing side here with Willow, I think, and the way that she's willing to take care of Tara and then the beginning carrying over to the beginning of episode six when she and Tara are willing to take care of Dawn when initially Buffy is not there. So we see a nurturing side of her, but of course you're right. We start to see hints that she's going to go in a darker direction and that's hard to see, but at least in the moment here, we're like, yes, go Willow. Yeah. You're finally really starting to believe in yourself. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's all I love. I adore Willow. Her story is so tragic. I know it ultimately isn't, but uh, the the journey of her story is has so many tragic beats. Oh, it really does. It really does. I think looking back on what happened to Tara, I think, I mean, just because of some life experiences I've had in the past few years, I, I better understand why that broke her. Mm -hmm. Like, you finally find somebody who you love and, he, and who loves you, and you finally feel like you've come to your own, and then that happens. And, you know, of course it doesn't justify some of the terrible things she does, but I can better understand what drove her to a really dark place. So... The yellow crayon speech is in our future. I'm just saying. Have your have your tissues ready. Yes. I love that moment. Okay. Anyways, man, uh, let's pull it back. So, uh, closing thoughts or anything else we haven't mentioned? Hmm. Thinking for a moment here. I think in addition to guilt, this episode for me was very much about 
what makes us human. And to me, that came through in the battle between Glory and Ben, and that Glory doesn't necessarily like some of these human emotions, but she better understands them after having experienced them herself. Mm-hmm. So to me, that just brought up the philosophical thought of, oh, gosh, like having these painful human emotions yet wanting to press on anyway and still seeing purpose behind life. I think that's very much a part of what makes us human. Very good. Um, okay. So we uh, have... We have plenty of Angel episodes since we've already talked about Angel tonight. Uh, I'll just put this out there: there are plenty of Angel episodes that have not been claimed. You can you can stake your claim for the entire run of Angel practically if you would like to. But um, even though I think every slot for Buffy the Vampire Slayer going forward is technically filled, um, I, I've had to shuffle schedules around mercilessly this entire time. So where I'm going with this is, if there are any future episodes of Buffy that you want to come back and talk about. Uh, since you're such a huge fan of season six, if there's anything in season six that you really, really feel passionate about that you want to come back and talk, uh, talk with me about, just let me know. And, um, you know, I, I can always put you in as an alternate if anyone has to drop out. So. Okay. That sounds good. And I will definitely look back at the angel episodes. I don't remember off the top of my head, the names of the ones in season four that I was most excited about, but I'll go back and look and add those to the Google Doc because I would love to talk about Jasmine. To me, she was just such a fascinating character for so many reasons. Amen. I, you, you have to come back for Angel Season 4 because you and I are the only two people that like that season. You're right. Most people, that's their least favorite season. For me, that's that's my favorite. Um, I think with both Buffy and Angel, I like Season 1, but I don't love Season 1 because I feel like they're kind of warming up. Mm-hmm. And- about halfway through season two is when it really starts to get good. But around season three and season four with both shows, it's like, Ooh, that's where the good stuff is. I agree. I agree. Uh, Well, Margaret, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Um, I I don't want to put you on the spot here, but uh, this is where I give my guests an opportunity to uh, let listeners know how they can find them online. If they want to be found online. Sure, sure. I'll go for that. Um, My Twitter is at writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, and then Mar, M-A-R. I think technically the W is capitalized and so is the M in Mar, but I don't think it really matters, to be honest with you. Um, And if you want to follow my professional Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Period Margaret Robbins. And with both of those sites, you can see links to blogs that I keep about empowered female protagonists and teaching literacy skills, etc. Excellent. What just really quickly, what are some other uh, empowered female protagonists that you're a fan of? Kamala Khan from this novel. Bless you. And I've actually written some book chapters, papers, et cetera, and about the parallels between Buffy and Kamala Khan. So, um, yeah, reach out to me if you want to hear more about that, because I love writing about it and I love talking about it. And Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, of course, Mm -hmm. I really love. Um, Cherie from Black Panther. Yes. Yeah, she's actually, you know, kind of like Willow was the one I relate to the most in the Buffyverse. Cherie is actually the one I relate to the most in Black Panther. I just, I feel a connection with her. Excellent. Well, you and I are going to talk about comics at some point, so 
prepare yourself for that. Awesome. We have similar tastes in that regard. So I look forward to it. Excellent. Uh, and uh, thank you at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com uh, or you can, can subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate us or write us a review and help spread the word. Um, if you have uh, questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've talked about, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash conswithdead. Uh, next week, we are in the end game now. Buffy's world comes tumbling down, literally, in the season five finale. So join me and returning guest Michael Holland as we discuss episode 522, The Gift. Until then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.